Welcome to CYC Podcast Discussions on Child and Youth Care, episode number 168. I'm Wolfgang Vashel. Today, I'm speaking to Melanie and Harry, who have direct experience in the child welfare system and are also co-researchers in a photo voice project called Relationships Matter for Youth Aging Out of Care. I, uh, I'm going to ask both of Melanie and Harry to introduce themselves. Uh, we're going to split this conversation up into two different sections. The first part, we'll talk about the, the findings, the results, what came out of their experiences in the project. And the second part of our conversation, we will talk about uh, photo voice disability action research and those sorts of things. So welcome, Harry and Melanie. Thank you both very much for joining me today. And to start, could you each introduce yourselves? I'm uh, Melanie Doucette. I'm a PhD candidate at uh, the McGill uh, School of Social Work. I'm currently um, finishing my dissertation and I was the principal uh, investigator um, on this project. It was my doctoral project um, and it was a collaborative project. Um, so uh, the, the young people who uh, participated in the project, I refer to them as my co-researchers because this was a uh, collaborative research project. And uh, I'm also a former youth in care, so I have a, a vested uh, personal interest as well as an academic interest uh, into this topic. Beautiful. Thanks, Melanie. And how about you, Harry? Yeah, my name is Harry. Uh, identify as a settler of mixed ancestry who lives on the unceded lands of the Musqueams, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples. Uh, currently on what is known as Vancouver. Um, I'm currently a recipient of the tuition waiver program at UBC, uh, studying philosophy and political science. Awesome. Thank and you. and the tuition. Oh, sorry. And the no. Go ahead. Uh, the, the tuition waiver program is uh, for former youth in care. Right. Yeah. It's a, I, it's a program that's sort of inconsistent across the country, but I, I think BC is the the province that has embraced it the most. Um, and it just it's a such a great program for people who who lived in a residential care system. Have you found the the, the tuition waiver program uh, beneficial for you, Harry? Yeah, I would say that it's contributed my life and the lives of others around me in a significantly positive way. Um, I wouldn't have gone to school otherwise, and doing this kind of work at school with studying, connecting with others, has been a way for me to uh, find my voice and to heal. Yes, absolutely. Just sort of uh, your choice to study political science, um, there's a bit of a cliche um, around people from care going into uh, working in, in social services into the care system, social work, child and youth care, um, et cetera, et cetera. Your choice political science, do you see that connected to your care experience and why choose that direction? Right. So I'm, I was primarily interested in studying social sciences, political science, as a way of developing my own analysis of the situations of crisis that are perpetually unfolding in the world that we live in today. Mm -hmm. I'm mostly interested 
I'm interested in politics, but I generally make the distinction between capital P politics and lowercase p politics. I'm not interested in running for office or representative mm -hmm. democracy per se. Mm -hmm. I'm more interested in building relationships from the ground up through grassroots organizing in order to make changes. Um, so that's the main reason for going to schools right. to study theory and to practice. Right. And would you, the, the crisis that you identify as living through at this moment, it, how much of that is related to or connected to uh, your wisdom from living in the child welfare system? Well, I, I think from, I think one view of looking at the state historically, as a settler colonial state, and then living through the child welfare system, I think when that experience coupled with that analysis really shows how this system is predicated upon harm, basically. Mm. Um, and my experience in care, which I think is a misnomer, is missing a care element to it. And that's what I'm interested in implementing in my relationships with others and with projects going forward. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've long struggled with this idea of, of the term care and I and it something that the title of your project is relationships, of, relationships matter for youth aging out of care and you you put quotation marks around aging out and and it sort of also flags this idea of, of care and I, and I wonder if either of you could speak to is quotation marks around aging out and how that links to notions of care? Yeah, I can uh, answer that. Um, the, the quotation marks is something that I've been doing uh, since I started my PhD um, to identify, um, I guess, the aging out phenomenon, which is very much an institutionalized phenomenon, an artificial phenomenon. And I want to make that distinction. Um, because aging out has been, the term has been normalized by government, um, by the child welfare system, as well as the academic literature on this topic. Um, and my goal is to uh, denormalize it because mm. it's not something that should be normal. Um, it's not something that should be accepted as standard or as status quo. Um, mm. It's really something that uh, should eventually be eliminated from the discourse and shouldn't actually be a thing. Um, kids in care, you know, should be supported throughout their entire lives like kids who aren't in care. And mm -hmm. by putting it uh, within uh, brackets, um, it's really emphasizing that ideal. Absolutely. Let's take a step back. I sort of got off tangent as I sometimes do. Um, what what exactly was the the project that the two of you along with uh, several other co-researchers what was the project that you worked on um i can take a crack at it and then harry you can jump in if you want um so this project um initiated as part of my uh, doctoral program uh so um, I knew coming into my doctoral program that I was really interested in doing research on issues that uh, affect um, and impact youth aging out of care. 
because it tends to be uh, a population that is forgotten um, and that falls through the cracks. Um, and it tends to be a population um, that um, is disenfranchised and um, doesn't really have a sense of belonging uh, because the system basically abandons uh, youth at the age of majority. Um, so I really wanted to focus on uh, something related to aging out of care, um, but it took me quite a few years to determine exactly what area I wanted to focus on because there's so many issues that I, that I could potentially look at. Mm -hmm. um, and just from personal experience to knowing, you know, what it's like to age out of care, um, I knew that there were so many ways of uh, going about doing research in this area. Um, so it took me quite a few years to uh, focus on relationships uh, through doing my comprehensive exams and reading the literature and also being involved at the community level um, here in Montreal with other um, youth and care alumni um, and really coming to the core of, you know, it's really all about relationships um, and that's really what's lacking for youth who age out of care. The focus is so much on independent living um, and uh, autonomy um, and really that whole aspect of interdependence and focusing on uh, relational support networks is kind of left uh, to the wayside and is overshadowed by this, uh, I guess, overemphasis on independent living. Mm. Um, so I, I really wanted to focus on a project that looked at this relational aspect um, and it took me a while to figure out what methodology um, felt more authentic to me um, because I was, you know, grappling clearly with, uh, you know, a committee of advisors, um, which is, is the process for doing a PhD, um, who, you know, were sending me in different directions and, and um, you know, trying to encourage me to do more traditional forms of research. Um, and none of these suggestions felt authentic to me. Um, mm. So I, I really wanted to try to find a way um, where I could do research that felt really meaningful for me and that could also feel really meaningful for the youth um, that I would engage with uh, for the project. And so um, after I've, you know, I, I did some readings, I went to conference presentations on participatory action research um, and that really struck a chord with me um, in terms of having a really, um, I guess, a power sharing relationship, um, a, a reciprocal relationship, or I guess an interdependent uh, mm -hmm. relationship between uh, the researcher and um, the participants who are really um, co-researchers in the process. So yes. I, I, I had a kind of a light bulb moment when I started reading about this methodology um, and and I really wanted to hit the ground running and 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 go with that approach. And I had also um, heard about photo voice through some conference presentation I had been at, um, and that also really inspired me because it uses an artistic uh, methodology to kind of shine light on a particular issue, and really gives power um, to the people who are taking the photographs um, to to show the world their their story through their own eyes and control the narrative. Um, so I, I really uh, jumped on board um, with that uh, artistic methodology once I learned more about it and I took uh, a training on it um, and decided to 
um, develop a proposal um, for uh, my project. And uh, I was really lucky in a sense uh, because I was able to do my, my project in Vancouver. Um, and uh, I'm not from Vancouver. I'm actually from New Brunswick originally. And uh, I'm doing my PhD in Montreal. Um, so, you know, uh, it's not quite evident how I got to do my project in BC. Um, but uh, again, it's, uh, it's all about relationships. Uh, I uh, actually know um, Bernard Richard uh, from uh, my mm -hmm. time in New Brunswick. He used to be the child and youth advocate uh, in New Brunswick. Um, and I know him through uh, uh, my time working for government uh, when I was in New Brunswick. And he got appointed as the child and youth advocate in uh, BC a few years back. And he reached out to me uh, as soon as uh, he knew he was going to come into that position and asked me where I was at um, with my doctoral research and if I had done it yet or if I had picked uh, you know, a topic or a place to do it. And I was actually uh, in a point in time where I was struggling uh, with my proposal and I wasn't sure which direction to take. Um, so it, it was kind of a, a good timing uh, on, on his part to reach out to me uh, because it really um, you know, helped me decide uh, what to do. Um, he offered, you know, uh, he said, if you want to come do it in British Columbia, it's one of the priorities of the, the representative's office, um, uh, aging out of care research. So we would, you know, give you funding to come and you uh, really can do, um, you know, whatever approach uh, you want, just write up a proposal um, in the next three weeks and send it to us so we can put aside the funding. Um, and you managed to turn that around in three weeks. That's that's yeah, very I, impressive. I did. <laughs> because, you know, I was given uh, basically carte blanche in terms of the approach versus uh, with my committee. Um, I was getting all kinds of different uh, suggestions that weren't really me. Uh, did feel really uh, authentic for me. And so this really turned things around for me um, where I just put together a proposal and I just told my supervisor, listen, I have this opportunity and I really want to do this type of project. This really is something that feels authentic to me. Um, and yeah, once you have the backing of, you know, a, a child and youth advocate um, to go do the project in their province, I mean, my committee wasn't going to oppose that. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's pretty um, hard to argue with. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was really beneficial uh, for me uh, to have that connection um, uh, with the with Bernard Richard and also the Vancouver Foundation. Um, I had connections with them um, before this project as well through a conference uh, in Vancouver that uh, I, I spoke at and I had them uh, come co-present with me on uh, aging out of care initiatives that they were doing to fostering change. Nice. So it, again, it was all about the relationships that I had and the connections I had made um, that allowed me to do this project. In nice. Harry, I want, to, I want to ask you what, what attracted you to the, the project? And then a follow-up question is, why do you think it's important to do research about youth aging care with young people who are aging care? But first, let's start with what, what attracted you to the project? Well, I think, um, I think what attracted me, I think how I got involved in the project was that I was already involved with uh, advocacy groups um, mm -hmm. for youth and care in, in the Lower Mainland. And I think that's where Melanie got 
the contacts to send emails out for for requests for participation. Um, and so even prior to this project, there's been a long-term uh, organizing um, with nonprofits that are youth-led to create advocacy and networks to to build a movement of youth in and from care to make changes. Mm. And that in itself is, um, has been quite transform transformative, um, both on a personal level, interpersonal level, and even at a policy level. Um, and so when I heard about this project, um, I was really excited because not only was it an opportunity to do um, political work with, a, with uh, coming together with um, former youth in care to talk about uh, how to change the system, um, and not only um, coming together with former youth in care to, to make new connections and to find, um, to, to build those kinship relationships, but um, what really attracted me was the photo voice project because is an opportunity to be political and artistic at the same time. Mm. You're, you're, and I'm going to I'm going to link the 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 book from the um, the CYC podcast website. You have this quite striking um, image. You have many striking images in in the book, uh, Harry. But but one of the, there's a there's a quote next to. Um, an image, and the and the image is, uh, you know, of the, the sort of front door of a um, ministry of children, um, family and development youth services uh, in BC. And I'm wondering, do you have that quote in front of you, or if not, can I um, read that quote? Yeah, I, I do have it in front of me. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I can read, you read it. Yeah, please. So I write, the relationship between social workers and youth in care can be tenuous due to heavy caseloads in the office. Building rapport with those who decide whether you receive financial assistance or not requires a certain degree of impression management. Youth in care who are raw and forthcoming with their trauma and needs can be perceived as not qualifying for assistance. Yeah, that you know, as you read it, I get I get shivers and this idea that you know youth in care have to manipulate their workers to get their needs met. Um, uh, is something really you know jumps out at me um, in that quote. I, I wonder what what's behind that quote. Where where what are your thoughts associated with that that quote? Well, I think overall going through the system, um, there's a framework in place for social workers where they assess their clients, also known as children. Mm -hmm. um, and when they're assessing their clients or children, um, um, they're based on whether how good they are doing and depending on how good they're doing, that will correspond to the support they will receive. So, for example, I remember with AYA, the uh, program. Um, Sorry, what's AYA? So it's called, um, it's for Assistance for Young Adults program. Okay, okay, yeah. 
which is a post um, post care um, program for financial support if you're attending schools, uh, post secondary, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the um, barriers being quite high in order to get into the program. Um, and part of that could be um, part of the barriers as well could be if you're having um, it, um, issues with trauma, for example, or if you have unmet, need, need, un unmet needs. Um, and so when, when people are asking for help from the social workers, if the social workers are not, um, are not happy with how you're progressing as an independent autonomous being in the in the world, then you may not receive the you may not, you may not receive the assistance you need. And I think the thing that really gets at me with that is that it's a model of care that's not actually based on care because um, in order for someone to care for another person, you have to be able to identify their needs. Um, and more often than not, uh, when youth and care are expressing their needs, they're, it's interpreted as uh, a problematic behavior. Mm. And this is more, more likely to happen if they have trauma as well and an environment that does not um, you know, provide the opportunity for healthy communication. Um, so even at the level of needs, people are being policed. And not only that, but um, I find that like there isn't really an acceptance of responsibility for making those needs met because part of the problem is that um, social workers have a heavy caseload, so they just simply don't have enough time to deal with the intricate problems that arise mm -hmm. by living through the system. Mm -hmm. um, and even if they were, I think there's a competence aspect that's missing from it because I don't think people are trained in trauma-informed care. They're not able to identify when trauma is happening and they're not aware on how to not to continue that cycle. And I think um, last but not least, and this is the most important aspect about being in care, is that there's no actual response from those, there's no actual feedback from the youth in care in the system about their care. Mm whether it's adequate or appropriate or not. And so there's no mechanism in place for um, someone to have voice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. I, I wanna pick up this idea of, of voice and, and how it links to uh, your project and, and photo voice in general. Um, first, I'd like to ask each of you, what, what would care within the child welfare system look like? Oof, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, you, how long do you want me to go? <laughs> uh, I've, been think, I've been thinking about this, you know, question for 20 years. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, you know, the, the, one of the main issues with the child welfare system is that um, it's an institution. It's a it's an institutionalized system, and so um, it 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 really 
detracts from a focus on relationships and 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 really focuses on the systems aspect of it. Mm. Um, so for me, um, you know, a child welfare system that that would be better <laughs> than what it was when I was in care and what it is even to this day is that it needs to move away from being system-centered um, to child and youth-centered. Mm-hmm. And that's something um, that requires, I always say, the system needs an extreme health makeover. that <laughs> um, needs to be gutted um, and rebuilt. Um, and it needs to be rebuilt based on what young people with care experience have to say on how it needs to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's a, a, a major problem um, with the way the system is set up is that it's set up based on ideals um, from adults who um, are, are out of touch um, with youth uh, realities and are also you know not experienced in terms of having been in care they don't have that uh, client I guess perspective um, that youth-centered perspective um, so that's something that I would really hope to see happen, um, but it requires, you know, constant mobilizing and effort um, from youth with care experience. Um, and this has been happening um, all, all across the country um, and is continuing to happen. Um, but, you know, this system doesn't always listen. No, I, 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 I would go so far as to say the system uh, infrequently listens, um, mm-hmm. or rarely <laughs> listened. Um, and the, and the listening for me has not resulted in a lot of, you know, structural changes, you know, um, yeah, there's some more youth committees, but I don't know that there's been any really fundamental shift. Harry, what, what, what is your sense of what care would look like in, in the child welfare system, if, if care were to actually exist? Yeah, I think I'd reiterate um, Melanie's points about centering youth in decision-making processes. Mm-hmm. And not just some, but I think all decision-making processes. Um, and I think it's important that even, it's, it's important not just to have it nominally, to have it written on paper, but I think it needs to actually be put into practice. Um, how to do that? Those are good questions. I, I think that um, all youth in care should have uh, lawyers mm. uh, because they're not being legally protected with the human rights that are posted on the walls of the offices. Um, it's, it's, all those human rights are meaningless when we have nothing, no one there to help enforce it or to protect you. Um, so I suppose from a legal standpoint, I think that there needs to be a lot more rights and protections of youth going in the system. Um, and I think secondly is that um, I, I emphasize, I also emphasize with Melanie the idea of interdependence. Um, um, but at the same time, I, I do think, I do value autonomy uh, insofar that it, um, insofar that it's able to provide for our needs. And, and so that goes back to the idea of voice where um, when youth in care 
are asking for their needs to be met in the system and they're not having it taken care of, that's undermining their own autonomy and their own rights. And so um, I think that has to do with the power imbalances that are in place. How to shift those power imbalances, um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure at the moment, um, mm -hmm. but I, I do agree with Melanie that a huge overhaul would be needed. Yeah, I just want to add something because I feel like um, there's a point uh, that connects with uh, the quote that Harry um, read out uh, just a few minutes ago and the photo that he took um, where even the youth uh, in care advocacy movement and the mobilizing movement has to uh, kind of do impression management and play the political game in order to be heard. Mm. Um, so there is, you know, some forms of, uh, you know, having to appease or please whoever is in the current political power and who has the decision-making authority um, to be able to affect change. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of tokenism uh, that happens. Um, you know, it's not necessarily um, authentic engagement and empowerment that's happening. Um, so that also needs to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we see that really clear well. I mean, the history of the representative's office in, in BC and then the recent shutting down of the provincial advocate's office here in Toronto and needing to appease the, the powers that be and, and how, um, yeah, how, how whimsical things like this can be. I, I, want to, I want to end this, this part of our conversation, and I would like to um, invite listeners to uh, f come back in, in, uh, in November and listen to part two. And in part two, um, I want to talk, uh, Melanie and, and Harry, about what photo voice is and then what your findings were. And you identify, uh, Melanie, the representative's office, uh, 12 um, specific findings. Um, so I want to say goodbye um, for now, um, for the month of October, and uh, in a moment we will say hello to the month of November.